Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Builders. Pastors Philip and Michelle Still are dedicated to building your faith and framing your world by the Word of God. There are many more resources available on our website, www.buildfaith.net, where you can find links to our audio and video archives. We also invite you to join us online for our live stream services. Remember to build your faith and frame your world by the Word of God. Join me in Matthew chapter 16. Pastor's been talking about the character of Christ on Wednesday nights. I'm going to follow along that line, not in the same exact uh, teaching series that he's doing, but ministering in that vein. Matthew chapter 16, Jesus is talking with his disciples And we'll begin in verse 15. Oh, let's start in 13. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that you are John the Baptist, some Elias and Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed it unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it, and I will give unto you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he charged his disciples that they should tell no man that he was Jesus the Christ. So here's Simon. He's had this great revelation He's received revelation from God. He said, you didn't get this from your imagination. You didn't get this from previous experience. You didn't get this from book learning. You didn't get this from any natural source. God has spoken to you and revealed to you and jerked the cover off of this, this that which is hidden to all of the other people. And you have seen that I am the Christ. And so... He gives greater revelation about that. I'm going to build my church on this revelation. I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And then he says, don't tell anyone that I am the Christ. Verse 21. From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go into Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again on the third day. Now, this was not the first time or the last time that he attempted to share with them what, they, what he was going to be going through so that they would not be caught off guard. But we know from our ability to read in the scriptures that they were caught off guard. And instead of spending that time in expectation of Jesus' resurrection, they were all crying. They were beside, them, beside themselves. They were all in an uproar. When Jesus came walking with the disciples on the road of Emmaus, they, they were ranting back and forth to each other. Can you believe this happened? And then when Jesus came along and said, what are you talking about? They said, are you the only person in all Israel or in all Jerusalem who doesn't know what just happened? And they began to rehearse their whole scenario and then Jesus began to preach from the prophets who he was and it says their hearts burned within them but they didn't get the revelation of who he was until he broke bread with them amen and so they weren't aware they weren't prepared here's Peter who has just had revelation Peter who has just Seen by the hand of God that Jesus is the Messiah. And now Jesus is beginning to explain what he will have to endure. What's going to happen to him. That he is going to be crucified. That he is going to uh, raise from the dead. He begins to talk about what he's going to suffer of the chief 
priests and the scribes that he will be killed. And, and, and now here's Peter who just moments before had supernatural revelation. And Peter said, verse 22, Peter took him and began to rebuke him. That's an indicator right there. We're about to move out of the place where revelation is flowing because you are rebuking the Word made flesh. <laughs> you are rebuking the second person of the Godhead. He doesn't, I mean, he just had this revelation that he's the Christ and he's going to rebuke the Christ. Peter rebuked him and this is what he said. Be it far from you, Lord, this shall not be unto you. Which sounds like a good faith statement, right? It sounds like this is not going to happen to you. You're not going to have that happen to you. That's, it, it sounded good maybe in the natural, but not to Jesus. Be it far from you. Now, what was Jesus who had an understanding? He said before he came into the earth, we have his words in the book of Hebrews. It says, before he came into the earth, he said, sacrifice and offering, they're not pleasing to you. But a body you have prepared me. Lo, here I am in the volume of the book, Lord, send me. So we know that Jesus had an a, a understanding of what would be the result of his suffering. What would be the result of his death. That there would be many brought into the kingdom. That by his, his uh, obedience, there would be a, a new birth available for everyone who would call on his name. But now Peter, who thinks he sees it clearer than Jesus, he says, be it far from you, this isn't going to happen to you. I want to look at, at this phrase, be it far from you, because my center column reference says that in the original language, it means pity yourself. Pity yourself. Think about yourself. For instance, let me give you a few more translations. The Young's Living translation, which is a very accurate translation, says, this shall not be to you be kind to yourself. Be kind to yourself. The New English translation says, uh, um, well, in verse 23, Jesus turned and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me. The New English says, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. God's Word translation says, You are tempting me to sin. Now here, it's Peter, but the thought didn't come from God this time. Think about yourself. Pity yourself. It's Peter saying it, but he is not the, the origin of that idea. Think about yourself. If Jesus would have thought about himself, where would we be? He had to think about us. The Bible says, for the joy that was set before him... He endured the cross. He would not have endured the cross if he, would think, if he was thinking about how it made him feel. How it made... How many uh, mothers or fathers remember when your child was a baby and they were crying? You didn't get to think about yourself at 2 o'clock in the morning when they demanded a bottle feeding. Am I right? You didn't, I mean, from the time that you have a child, you no longer have the privilege of thinking about yourself. You've got to put that child first. Jesus, if he would have thought of himself, none of us would have experienced the freedom and the liberty that we have as a result of his obedience to God. So this thought, pity yourself, he says, is a, a stumbling block. It was tempting him to sin. In the Bible in basic English, it says, Get out of my way, Satan. You are a danger to me. You are a danger to me. The, the feeling sorry for himself or, or being selfish in that situation or putting himself first 
was a temptation and a danger, an offense and a stumbling block to Jesus. He so strongly resisted the opportunity to feel sorry for himself that we see him reacting to Peter more vehemently than we see him dealing with some of the religious scribes and Pharisees. He was dealing with it so strongly because of the thought and the the concept in those words, pity yourself, be kind to yourself, think about yourself. That's what Adam and Eve did. They thought about themselves. But Jesus had to think about the plan of God, the will of God, what God needed to have done, and he had to put himself and the way that it made him feel and the position it put him in, he had to put those things aside and give attention to the the task at hand. And so as you and I are developing our character to walk in the plan of God, to follow the footsteps that Jesus has laid out for us, you and I need to recognize and resist the temptation to feel sorry for ourselves. We need to recognize that when we hear a thought of, you don't deserve to be treated that way. You don't deserve this. How how could they talk to you that way? How can they treat you that way? That's not God inciting you to righteous indignation. (laughs) That's not God trying to get you to take a stand and to to puff yourself up and say, you're not going to talk to me that way. No, that's the enemy trying to put you over into the place where you're putting yourself in the position of preserving yourself or saving yourself or protecting yourself. God is your protector. God is your avenger. God will watch out for you. You don't have to take up for yourself. God, he said, this is the heritage of the servants of the Lord and their righteousness is of me. He said, whatever tongue shall rise against you in judgment, I will prove it to be wrong. That's, I'll do that for you. This is the heritage. You don't have to try to stand up for yourself. You're not your protector. Jesus has has provided a covenant and protection is in that covenant. I remember hearing Brother Hagen tell a story and many of you have either read this in one of his books or maybe heard him tell the story. It's in the book, I believe, in Visions, but I think it's also in one of the other books that talks about how the enemy attacks. It may be in the triumphant church as well. But I've also heard him tell the story And he was telling the story because Jesus had taught him how the enemy attacks people. And what happened was Brother Hagin was uh, ministering at a church. And after church, he and the pastor, he was staying in the house of the pastor. And he and the pastor were up having sandwiches after church in the kitchen. And the pastor's daughter came in and said, Daddy, will you pray with me? I need to go to bed. And so Brother Hagin said, we all got down on our knees you know, to pray, the the daddy was going to pray with the little girl. And he said, when I hit my knees, I was in the spirit. And Jesus came and began to talk to him. And one of the things that Jesus said is, I want to show you how the enemy attacks people. And he showed a woman that, that Brother Hagen knew. He knew of her. He did not know her personally or, or was well acquainted with her, but he knew of her because her husband had been in the ministry. And she was the pastor's wife. And this woman had, um, in, in the, the conversation he had with Jesus, Jesus showed this woman and that after she would get done leading song service, that the enemy would come and say to her, they don't appreciate your gift and your talent They don't appreciate the the ability that you have. And you could be on the top 10 country charts with your voice. You are so talented. You could really go far. You could be famous. You could be rich. They don't appreciate you here in this little church. And the first few times that those thoughts came to her, 
she just shook them off and cast them down and said, no, no, that's not true. But one day those thoughts came and I don't know if maybe she was offended. Maybe she was upset about something. Maybe she had just been worn down, but it was the same thoughts. It came back and this day she agreed with it. She said, that's right. These people don't appreciate me. And the moment she agreed with it, the Lord showed Brother Hagen a little black dot that started in her mind. And then throughout the day, she would agree with that. She would think about it. She would meditate that. She would, she would thought, those thoughts would go through her mind and she would, she would, that's right. And she would feed on it. And the dot would grow bigger. And it didn't happen in one week. It didn't happen in one month. It happened over time. So first we see that the enemy was attacking with the same thought and one day she let her defenses down and accepted that thought and agreed with it and then she began to meditate that thought until it became bigger and bigger until she finally left her husband and, and ended up, uh, she never did make it rich, <laughs> never did make it in country music, but she lost everything. And and. The story came back to me because of what the enemy attacked her with. They don't appreciate you. They don't value your talent. You could make it rich somewhere else. Who's on her mind? Who is the enemy? The enemy, he doesn't want you to know it's him. He, he's going to disguise it to make it sad, to make you try to accept a thought thinking it's your thought. And the thought was a selfish thought. The thought was, was a prideful thought. The thought was, think about you. Think about how you're wasting your talent here. Think about you. Think about how this makes you feel. And so as that black dot continued to grow in her mind and and at one point when she had participated with it and thought on it and talked it until it got in her heart and so i want us to recognize and understand how to resist those thoughts that say you don't deserve this how they're not appreciating you think about yourself Self-care. I know that there is a, a being responsible to rest our, ourselves, but sometimes people are using that term to put themselves in a position of, of, of this mindset. I've got to think about me. I've got to think about how this makes me feel. I've got to think about that me. And so anytime that it's me, 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 my, 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 I, 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 we're putting ourselves in a dangerous position. We're putting ourselves vulnerable to the attack of the enemy. And so we never have to be there. And I'll, we're going to learn today how to inoculate ourselves from being vulnerable to that. Hallelujah. So in this very same chapter, <laughs> immediately following his reprimand of Peter, Jesus begins to give the key. He says in verse 24, Jesus said unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. You're trying to protect yourself. You're trying to put yourself first. But whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. And what is a man profited if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Hallelujah. For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels. And then shall he reward every man according to his works. Hallelujah. So what he's saying is don't put yourself first. Put me first and I'll always protect you. Put me first and I'll always provide. I'll, you won't have to protect yourself. If you put me first, I'll do all the protecting. I'll do all the providing. Hallelujah. The uh, Weiss translation of verse 24, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself. The Weiss translation, Kenneth E. Weiss, 
says, if anyone is desiring to come after me, let him forget self and lose sight of his own interests. Let him forget self and lose sight of his own interests. That doesn't mean God doesn't want you to enjoy things and have recreation. He's saying, make everything subject to, to God. Make everything uh, uh, available for God to adjust it, to correct it. I heard Patsy Caminetti, she said um, in praying that the Lord told her, uh, concerning, concerning things of, of the natural, uh, uh, hold, them, hold them out loosely. Like things about the politics, things about uh, uh, natural situations going on, hold them loosely. So that I can adjust that if you've got it in the wrong place. If, you've, if you're putting too much importance on it. Amen? So when, when we're endeavoring to grow and to uh, develop ourselves to be accurate in our walk with God, we need to recognize that self is not, does not need to be promoted. When I... When I Put him first, he'll promote me. I don't have to promote myself. I don't have to make my name great. The blessing will do that, not me. Amen? I don't have to protect myself. The heritage of the Lord is that he will make every tongue that rises against me in judgment. It will be proven wrong. Amen? So in Matthew 11, he says it this way, verse 29. He says, Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. That's what I want you to learn. <laughs> That's what I want you to learn. I want you to learn that I am meek. Now, meek is not weak. And we live in a society that has taught people that meekness is timid. Those are not in the Bible uh, uh, used as alternative words meekness or timidity no 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 meekness is great strength in the spirit meekness is a total dependence on God Jesus said I can of my own self do nothing right I only do what I hear my father say I only do what I've seen my father do I am totally dependent on him I am come to do the will of my Father. My meat is to do the will of my Father. I'm come to do the will of the one who sent me, he said. Over and over and over again, he let us know, I am meek. I am 100% dependent on God, the Father. So this meekness, this meekness is not a weakness. This meekness is actually spiritual strength. And when we, are, when we are meek, even when Jesus said, um, if, they, if they come and demand that you walk with them a mile, go farther than that. If they come and they demand of you that you give them your, give them, give them your, your cloak, give them more than that. Why? Why? I, I want you to depend on me. I want you to go ahead and show the generosity, show the willingness and depend on me. Hallelujah. Glory to God. So I want to look at something that many of you may have heard preach different. But I want you to look with this eye, understanding I'm not, I'm wanting to recognize uh, the attitude of meekness. So go with me to 1 Samuel 1. 1 Samuel chapter 1. And, and what am I looking for? I'm looking for that meekness. I'm looking for, for that dependence upon God. That lowliness in heart. 1 Samuel chapter 1. And... We're talking about Hannah. Now, I want to just address that I think this is, the, I've, I've heard some wonderful sermons from this, 
talking about Hannah from the place of prayer. But I want us to look at her prayer, and I want us to find out if that if our our if our prayers are supposed to be emotional. Let's read in verse 16. Count not thy handmaid for a daughter of Belial, for out of the abundance of my complaint and grief have I spoken hitherto. She just told the, the Eli, the man of God, who was thinking that maybe she was drunk because of the way that she was praying. And so he's correcting her and she says to him, don't think that I'm a bad person. I'm a daughter of Belial. I, out of the abundance of my complaint. Is that an accurate way to go to God? Out of the abundance of our complaint? What was wrong with Hannah? What was she there dealing with? She had never had a child. She was loved. She was the favorite. He took very good care of her. He gave her a double portion. He, she was, she, did, did she have a lot she could have been thankful about? But instead of being thankful, she was complaining. So can you imagine what it was like to live in, in the house with Hannah? Can you imagine, you know, she's in there with the, dry, the, 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 the shades drawn. And everybody comes in, hey, how you doing? Oh, I'm okay. I guess I'm okay. I, I guess I'm okay. Oh, okay, well, is it, is it time for breakfast? Oh, yeah, I'll make breakfast. I'll make breakfast. Okay. And you, you hear some banging of some pots and pans over there and the rolling of the eyes, what's the matter with her today? But she's walking around all day long. What is she thinking about? What she doesn't have. She's looking at the other wife and she's seeing all the children that she has and she's looking and focused on what she doesn't have. Focused on how she feels. Focused on, on how, how sad it is that she has not been able to produce a child. Is she focused on how much Elkanah loves her? No. He even went to her, didn't he? And he pleaded with her. I love you. It doesn't, mean, it doesn't matter to me. It doesn't change the way I feel about you because you don't have a child. I love you for you. But she was like, you can't love me. I don't have a baby. She's crying. Focused on what she doesn't have. It's sad in the house. It's depressing. She's, she's, why? Because of what she's looking at. She's thinking about herself, not thinking about how it makes other people in the house feel. She's there in the, the temple praying complaint. Praying complaint. And as long as she was complaining, she was unproductive. As long as she was complaining, there was no change in her situation. There was, she wasn't, you can't believe and complain. You remember, faith rejoices, gives thanks, and is glad. Doubt despairs, complains, and is sad. So she's not receiving anything as long as she's complaining. She's not believing for anything as long as she's complaining. She might want it, she might need it, but she's not getting it as long as she's complaining. Out of her bitterness of her heart, out of this area of, of focused on me, what I don't have, she's not in a position to receive. But it says, Eli answered, verse 17, and said, now she's going to get a word. She's going to get a word from the man of God. Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant you your petition that you have asked of him. Now she's got a word. How is she going to respond to this word? She said, 
Let your handmaid find grace in your sight. So the woman went her way and did eat, and her countenance was no more sad. She's acting on the word that she got. And now that she's acting on the word, within the time of childbearing, she has a child. Why? Because she shifted from thinking about what she didn't have to an expectation of good. She began to expect what the man of God said to be true to her. I have the petition I've asked of the Lord. Now she's in faith. Sadness is gone. Why? Because she's got expectation. Sadness is gone. She's believing. Sadness is gone. She is ex she's looking for the answer to come. She's not thinking about me, 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 my, 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 look what I don't have. She's not complaining. She's not sad. She's expectant. She's looking forward to the, the promise coming to pass. Eli's instruction changed her focus and she changed her countenance. And when she made that change, she got into a position to receive. So although... I see that she was praying. Her prayer, there's a lot of people praying, but their prayer isn't effective because they're not praying in faith. When she got over into faith, then she could receive the prayer answered. And so it just the praying in an emotional desperation, if you leave prayer more worn out than you went into it, we're missing something because in the presence of the Lord, there's fullness of joy. And joy is strength. So when I come out of prayer, I should, no matter how long I've prayed, how, how physically uh, uh, expressive I was in my praying, I should come out stronger. I should come out joyful. I shouldn't come out of prayer feeling sad or distraught or despairing. Hallelujah. If I have, I was praying in my emotions and not out of my spirit. I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about me. Did you hear me? I said me. If I come out of my prayer time despairing, sad, weak, gloomy, I wasn't praying out of my heart, out of my spirit. I was playing, play, praying out of my mind, out of my emotions, and I'm not, you can't reach spiritual answers with your head. We can't reach spiritual answers with our emotions. I mean, the, the people on the road to Emmaus, they were emotional. The women who came to the tomb, they were emotional. And they were sad. And they, but, you know, the moment they got light, they turned from the, 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 I don't need to be at the tomb. Why would I hang around the tomb? Sad and gloomy and looking for Jesus' dead body. He's alive. He has risen. I'm going to go tell the disciples. Jesus is alive. Why? Everything, their attitude changed. Their emotions changed when their spirit was receiving light. And that's what we've got to recognize is that when we go to God, even in something as spiritual of an activity as prayer, we don't want to go with complaining. We don't, if, if we're dealing with a difficult situation, pray what you want. He said, whatsoever things you desire when you pray, come talk to me about what you desire. He knows the problem. You don't have to tell. He knows more details about the problem than you know. He knows things that have been said you didn't even know they said it. He knows things that's been done you didn't even know they did it. So he knows all the details. He doesn't need you to repeat the details of the problem. If you talk the problem too much, even in prayer, you're going to build your faith in the problem. So when we go to God, whatsoever things you desire when you pray, believe you receive those. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Second Chronicles. So humility opens the avenue to receive from God. Jesus said, learn this about me. I am meek. I'm humble. I'm lowly in heart. This is how we receive from God. But pride closes off the flow of receiving. 
And pride, here's the, here's the vocabulary of pride. Me, 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 my, 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 I, I, I. That, that's how you can identify the sound of pride in your voice. Don't be trying to identify it in everybody else's voice. Just keep your, your, your investigation going in your own voice, right? If I, if I hear myself saying, but me, what about me? I'm not trying to point my finger at others. 2 Chronicles 32 uh, talks about, and we've read probably this story more from Isaiah because Isaiah, it talks about when he went to deal with Hezekiah and Hezekiah prayed, Isaiah was on his way out of the, the, the castle courtyard and as, on his way out, uh, the sundial had turned back and God sent him back in. So we've seen it from that view. I want us to look at this, this portion of Scripture that talks about what happened when Hezekiah uh, was healed. Now, if you remember from the book of Isaiah, it said that Isaiah went to tell Hezekiah to put his affairs in order. God wasn't going to tell him, I'm going to heal you today. God said, you need to put things right in order because you're about to go. And so he prayed... For the mercy of God, he prayed for God to give him more time, and God did give him more time. But look at what it says here in 2 Chronicles 32 and verse 24. In those days, Hezekiah was sick to the death and prayed unto the Lord, and he spoke unto him, and he gave him a sign. And the sign was that the sundial had turned back. But Hezekiah rendered not again according to the benefit done unto him. For his heart was lifted up. Why didn't he render according to the benefit done to him? Why? Because of pride. His heart was lifted up. What does it mean to render, render not again according to the benefit done to him? Well, when you render something, if, if, if you, it's the same as surrender. If you surrender something, you give it up, right? So there was something he should have given according, and according is means in harmony with or in line with the benefit that had been done to him. He had been healed he had, from, from certain death. He was going to die, and God gave him more time. God healed him and raised him up off that deathbed. And it said Hezekiah did not render according to what he had received. Let me read this from the Living Bible. <clears throat> Hezekiah did not respond with true thanksgiving and praise. For he had become proud. Do you think he should have been thankful? Do you think he should have been exuberantly thankful do you think that one thank you was enough just oh hey thanks God that's great now let's get on back to business here is there any any laws I need to make any roads we need to build come on let's get those meetings set up I'm healed now you know we Hezekiahs we're just amazing like that we just bounce right back no he did not render according to the benefit. He had a benefit given to him that was worthy of more than he gave. Hallelujah. And the Bible ex ex expressly identifies the problem was pride. His heart was lifted up. He had become proud. So we're looking at how can we inoculate ourselves from that selfish, being, being uh, vulnerable to the thoughts of you, you don't deserve to be treated like that. They don't appreciate you. Think about yourself. How can I inoculate myself from that? If I'm thankful, if I'm, if I'm grateful, then I'm not expecting anything from anybody. If I'm grateful then I'm looking to God. I'm, I am preparing my heart to recognize the one who is my supply. 
I'm recognizing the one and what he's done for me. So that gratitude will inoculate us from pride. If we will learn to be thankful, we will automatically shield ourselves or, or reflect, uh, deflect is probably a better way, we'll resist that pride of thinking about ourselves. Because a thankful person is not thinking about me, 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 my, my, my. I'm too busy thinking about how I am so grateful that God did that for me. I'm so grateful for what you've done for me. Amen? So there was, and I also want to point this out before we get too far away from it. There was an expected response. Let me read it from the New Living Translation. Hezekiah did not respond appropriately to the kindness shown to him. There's an appropriate response. Appropriate response. Let's say that uh, somebody uh, came to, to uh, a person and said, I want to give you $20. And that person, thank you so much. That's very nice of you. But what if a person came up and said to that same person, I want to pay off your house. How much do you owe? I owe $450,000. I'm going to pay it off today. Do you think the same $20 thank you is worthy of the $450,000 pay off the house kind of thing, right? Is that, is that the same kind of thank you? Thank you. That's very nice of you. <laughs> I don't think so. I think we need some cartwheels. Uh, even if you're not very athletic, you could do your very best cartwheel. Run some pews. Y'all ever seen anybody run some pews? Somebody pay your house off in a moment, you might run a pew. Even if, if, it's, if it's chairs, you might run them with the angels holding you up. Because the pews, they were all bolted down, right? You can run the back of the pews. Hallelujah! There's a different kind of appreciation. There's a different kind of thank you. Isn't that what happened when the ten men who came to Jesus, ten men came to Jesus, ten men, ten men, and they all ran away. They got healed. They all ran away, but one came back. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you. Only one came back to say thank you. What did Jesus say? Oh, that's nice. That's nice. He came back. You didn't have to do that. Is that what he said? You didn't have to come back and thank me. No, no. He said, I thought I healed 10. It, wasn't there 10 in that group? I, did I count that right? 10? We're missing some people. There should be 10 men here saying, thank you. And it wasn't just a little cordial thank you. They heard him coming as he was shouting and giving glory to God. How was he giving glory to God? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Hezekiah, Hezekiah didn't do it either. He was with the nine. He was acting like the nine acted. He did not render in accordance with or in line with what he had received hallelujah why his heart was lifted up verse 26 notwithstanding hezekiah humbled himself for the pride of his heart oh aren't you grateful that god will let us make our adjustments he humbled himself for the pride of his heart heart both he and the inhabitants of jerusalem so that the wrath of the Lord came not upon them in the days of Hezekiah. Praise God that he made that adjustment. But I would rather develop a lifestyle of gratitude that will maintain an accurate response every time God does something for me. I would rather overdo it than underdo it. Do you think we could? I would rather, I would rather overexpress my gratitude. Not just, not just barely come in on target. Woo, I barely, I'm barely met that, that, that act of God's goodness with the correct amount. Thank you, Lord. 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 
No, how about, thank you, Lord. Thank you. We got to stir ourselves up. We've got to remind ourselves how far he's brought us. We've got we've to keep the perspective so clear that it is God who has made us and not we ourselves. God is the one. It's, it's his hand of favor upon us. He's the one who's kept us. He's the one who's led us. He's the one who made a way where there didn't seem to be any way. He's the one who made every crooked place straight for me. God, you did that for me. It did not just happen. It wasn't just luck. It wasn't just by chance. You held my hand. You led me. You carried me through. You gave me the sermon I needed to hear at the time I needed to hear it so that I didn't throw in the towel and give up. You're the one who gave me the wisdom and the understanding to know what to do in that difficult situation. You gave me the words to say when I didn't know how to respond you did that thank you Lord and thank you isn't thank you till you said thank you you can you can feel excited about it I think all 10 of those lepers who were healed of their leprosy I think all of them were glad to be home I thought I think they were glad about it but they didn't come back and tell the one who gave them their wholeness and who healed them of that leprosy that didn't come back. We got to come back. We got to render again. Render again. And when we do that, we're humbling ourselves. Pride holds back the thank you. Humility releases the accurate amount, the appropriate response of gratitude. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hezekiah did not respond appropriate. We can respond appropriately to every kindness shown to us. Hallelujah. 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 5. And I'm going to ask for the amplified. Verse 5 in the amplified. 1 Peter 5, 5. Likewise, you who are younger and of lesser rank, be subject to the elders, the ministers, and spiritual guides of the church, giving them due respect and yielding to their counsel. Clothe, apron yourselves. Clothe yourselves. And now that the Amplified brings out this word apron. Well, that's talking about something that one who is serving would wear. A garment of someone who is serving. Like they wear the aprons, the waitresses, or the people who are work behind the deli counter. They've got their smocks on. He says, clothe yourself, apron yourselves, all of you. All of you. And that's including from the pulpit to the pew. All of us need to apron ourselves with humility. God's not going to clothe us for us. The instruction is for us to apron ourselves, clothe ourselves with humility. This is the garment. The, the, the garment of the righteous is that robe of righteousness, but it is also a servant's robe because Jesus said nobody's above the master. And if the master put on the, the towel and washed the feet, he said, I'm giving you the example of how you treat each other. You, you serve each other with humility. And so it says, with humility as the garb of a servant, so that its covering, this covering of humility, cannot possibly be stripped from you or taken from you. Can we become so humble in the way that we deal with each other and with God that that humility will not be stripped away from us? It says, with freedom from pride and arrogance toward one another. Oh, Jesus, help us to develop such a walk of character, the character of Christ, that the freedom from pride and arrogance toward one another is a mainstay in our lives. 
for God. Here's, here's, here's a key to our victory, saints. God sets himself against the proud. He sets himself against the proud, the insolent, the overbearing, the disdainful, the presumptuous, the boastful. And he opposes, I don't want to be opposed by God. He opposes, frustrates, and defeats them. But he gives grace, favor, and blessing to the humble. Hallelujah. So he says, clothe yourself, apron yourself with this humility so that it cannot be taken from you because God sets himself against the proud, but he gives grace, favor, blessing to the humble. James chapter 4 and verse 6. I'll also read the Amplified here. James 4 and verse 6. This is food to grow by. This is miracle grow. Miracle grow right here. But he gives more and more grace, power of the Holy Spirit to meet this evil tendency and all others fully. That's why he says, God sets himself against the proud and the haughty, but he gives grace continually to the lowly those who are humble enough to receive it. Grace continually, that's what I want. He said, I want you to learn this of me. This is what I want you to learn. I am meek and lowly at heart. I'm, I'm humble. Now, see, this is what he wants us to know. Hallelujah. Why? Because this is the person who gets the continual help of God. This is whose God's ability is moving on the behalf of those who are... He gives grace continually to the lowly. Those who are humble enough to receive it. If you're thankful, you're always in receiving mode. If you're thankful, what you're, you're, not, you're not being haughty. You can't do them at the same time. You can't be haughty and thankful. Not, not truly thankful. When you're, when you're recognizing whether it's thanksgiving to God or being thankful to another person, you're not demanding of them. You're not placing uh, expectations. You're saying thank you. Let me read this one from the Weiss translation. Moreover, he, the Holy Spirit, gives greater grace. For this reason, in conformity with this, he, the Holy Spirit, says, God sets himself in battle array against the arrogant and haughty. Woo, have mercy. Battle array. God sets himself in battle array against the arrogant and the haughty. But he gives grace to the humble and the lowly. Hallelujah. That's why Thanksgiving is an inoculator against pride and arrogance having that continual recognition of gratitude to God recognizing what he's done for you it'll 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 preserve you from that pride so one of the key indicators and expressions of humility is thanksgiving Ephesians 5.20 says, Giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, Thank God in everything. No matter what the circumstances may be, you be thankful and give thanks for this is the will of God for you who are in Christ Jesus. It doesn't mean you're thankful for trouble. You don't, he doesn't want you to say, Lord, thank you for a flat tire. Thank you, Lord, the washing machine went out. Thank you, Lord, for, for the trouble on my job. No, don't be thankful for it, but be thankful in it. No matter what you're dealing with, there's something you can turn to and say, I thank you, Lord, for this. This may be going on, but instead of me complaining about that, let me say, thank you, Lord, for peace of mind. 
Thank you, Lord, for the blood that washes me. Thank you that my name is written in the, hand, the Lamb's book of life. Thank you, Lord, that I am redeemed from the curse. Thank you, Lord. But you can find something to be thankful for because uh, he hasn't changed. Glory to God. This is one of the most... This, I would say, is one of the... the Teachings that has transformed my life. And it's something that I endeavor and still endeavor to, to cultivate and to grow stronger in. In my thanksgiving to God. And I'll tell you, you can get busy, you can get caught up with a lot of responsibilities. And before you know it, you can look back and say, you know what? I wasn't thankful for that the way I should have been. I kind of said thank you and then I got busy or got sidetracked with something else. And, and you can look back and say there are some areas that I really, really did not give what I should have given in the area of thanksgiving. I really did not spend the time talking to God and telling him how grateful I was that he did that for me. So, but you know what? Go back to those areas. Visit them in your prayer time and say, Lord, you know when you did that for me two months ago? I want to I want to say thank you again. I remember, and I've told this story before, but I'll tell it again. See me closing my Bible. An hour of power. Doctor Ed Dufresne, when his plane went down over Kansas, and his uh, children went to uh, tell their mother that um, the plane had gone down. That week, she went into the office. She said she was not aware of what was taking place on the business off at the business side of the traveling ministry. She was over the church. And so she went in to talk to the financial department, the lady in charge of the financial department. She said, well, Pastor Nancy, we missed payroll two weeks ago, and it's payroll again, uh, and, and we're... we're like we have $1,000 in the bank and this is payroll in California for all of the employees. And so Pastor Nancy said, I told her, I'm going to home and paint my fingernails. <laughs> she said, I went home and turned on HGTV and started painting my fingernails and cast the care upon the Lord because she thought, I don't, I can't, I, I don't have it to, to cover it. So I'm just going to go home. And um, it was Monday you know, I think it was Friday when his plane went down, if I'm not mistaken. And so here they are on Monday morning. And so she gets a phone call. Maybe it was Thursday when the plane went down. Uh, she gets a phone call and, they, and the lady from the financial office said someone overnighted $100,000 to our ministry. And she said, we'll call all the staff together. I'm on my way back in and we'll have a meeting. And... Um, When the, when the person had heard that the plane went down, that person said, I just felt, you know, inspired of the Lord. I just felt prompted of the Lord to, to send that $100,000 and send it, like, overnight. Didn't wait two days. Didn't wait, call and say, I'm going to send it to you. I mean, just a little touch of the Lord prompting them, boom. Send $100,000, overnight it tonight. It made such an impact on their ministry. They've never been in a position again where they were, were in that difficult of a, a tight situation. She said it, it so impacted their ministry. She said, I did not just send one thank you. I've sent thank you after thank you after thank you, looking for multiple ways to say thank you, from a card to a box of steaks from the Omaha Steak Company to, I mean, just any different way to continually say thank you. That she said what that did for our ministry has such, had such an impact, how it ministered to our church and ministered to our staff. It was worth more than one thank you. And, and she, she testifies about how she has continually 
ministered her thanksgiving back to that, to that ministry who, who sowed that into their life. That is spiritual accuracy. We can all attain for us to be able to recognize the power in our gratitude and what it does. The man who came back to worship Jesus, the leper who had been, had, had been healed of the leprosy, cleansed of the leprosy, came back and he received a wholeness that the other nine didn't get. He, he was made whole. They were cleansed. They were healed. The leprosy stopped, but whatever it had destroyed, they were just without it. But, but the man who came back, Jesus said, be made whole. Your faith has made you whole. He received a restoration that was available to all of them, but they couldn't receive it because their thanksgiving didn't connect them to receive. Th being thankful that humility is opened us to receive from God.